you for this time of worship. Please speak to us this morning in your name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. I'm so thankful uh, to be with all of you and getting to know some of you. And uh, I just thought about it. This is kind of the uh, seventh week I've been here, and I got six to go after this. So I'm kind of halfway through the summer with you all. But it's been a joy and a delight. And thank you for introducing yourself to me when you when you've come up to me and done that. That's great. I did see a couple pictures of Pastor James. Looks like he's really enjoying everything. He's had a big smile on his face. So I think he's enjoying his time off, which is wonderful. Um, I'm going to draw your attention. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you don't, that's fine. You can find it on your electronic device or, or you can just trust me because I've, uh, I'm familiar with this text. But uh, we're going to talk all the way through the book of uh, Philippians. And so we're going to be looking together. Um, can you track me? Am I going too far? Am I okay? We want to welcome all of you that are online. Tsen mai tzu for my, for my uh, Chinese friends. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, for my Filipino friends, we praise the Lord. Gloria Dios for our uh, folks that might be watching online that are Spanish speakers. I keep hearing people saying they're going to log on sometime, but you never know whether they're serious or, or not. Uh, it's the middle of the night in some places in Asia, so I, I doubt if people are logging on. Uh, to watch somebody uh, speak that they already have heard speak many times. Um, the book of Philippians is often referred to as the, as the epistle of joy because joy appears in it over and over again, and we'll be kind of walking through it together. Um, and the Apostle Paul shares several reasons. Some of them, uh, the favorable winds are blowing with him, and so he gives thanks to the Lord, and he rejoices in the Lord for those kinds of things. But then he also rejoices for some of the tougher stuff, and he invites the people to rejoice with him and, and to find joy in both the good things and the bad things. And the reason why he does that, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotion. It's a response to a circumstance. Joy is a virtue. It's something that a person carries within. So it's not so tied to the circumstance. We're happy because we had a good meal. Uh, we're joyful because we're filled with it, and regardless of the external circumstances, um, we have the ability to be joyful. That's why it's referred to as one of the fruit of the Spirit. All of those are virtue qualities. Uh, love, you don't turn it on and turn it off. Uh, Adolf Hitler would have a real hard time just one day wake up and say, you know, I'm going to be loving to everybody today. And in fact, we're going to have this as the uh, treat your neighborhood Jew well. You know, it's, it wasn't in his capacity to do that. Are, are you with me? Um, love is that way. Joy is the very second one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's virtue. It's something that's given to us that we possess and grow in. It's different than happiness. So the Apostle Paul is in a difficult situation. He's writing this epistle from Rome, and uh, he's under guard. He's given some freedoms, but he's essentially a prisoner, and, uh, and he kind of disappears from our sight. He, his intention, according to the book in Romans is, it was to go on to Spain, but we don't know if he ever made it to Spain or not. That's a good, uh, good question for the theologians to banter about. But uh, we kind of conclude his life in Rome as far as from what we know. And it's in that context that he's writing this epistle to these people in Philippi who were people of virtue themselves. They, they had some significant virtue, and he's, so he's writing them, and he's trying to encourage them along in their faith. So they're in a good state, and he's in a tough state, but he's still telling them, uh, he's letting them know that he's filled with joy, 
and he hopes that they are too. So that's kind of the backdrop to what we'll be talking about. So he starts right out after he gives an introduction of Paul and Timothy uh, of himself in verse 1 of chapter 1, and then he moves on and says, Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 2, which is his introduction. He's asking that the grace of the Lord and the peace would be with all of these people. And then he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Uh, Those are the next handful of verses that are there. So what does he say in the context of this? Right after he gives the introduction, he says, I'm thankful when I pray for you. I mean, here's a guy in jail, and he's saying, or is a prisoner, I should say, and, uh, and he's saying, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Every time I pause today, you will say either joy or rejoice, okay? Joy. There you go. Okay, that, very good. You got it. Actually, when I'm pausing in the Scripture, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of joy coming out of here because I pause periodically. But uh, yeah, the fill in the blank part is uh, joy or rejoice. So, so he's saying, every time I pray for you, I always pray with joy because of your part- partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes on and he recounts a little bit later about how they received Timothy. Chapter 2, he talks about uh, a guy named uh, Epaphrodi- Epaphroditus, a person who was sent from them to care for him in his uh, imprisonment, and he's not getting back as quickly as the, the people would like in Philippi. They wanted Paul to send this great servant of the Lord back, and he hasn't gotten there. And that's part of the reason for his writing. He's just saying, hey, relax. Uh, this guy has been a real blessing to me and continues to be, and so uh, he'll, he'll get home. But he's saying, I'm praying for a joy because of this. And he's not done with that. He mentions it over and over again. Um, if, after, we, after he talks about that God fills them with a depth of love that would be overflowing for one another, he comes to a place where he talks about his circumstance, and his circumstance, he says, uh, I, I want you to know, brothers, uh, I believe this is about verse 12 or 13, something like that, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really turned out for the advancement of the gospel. Um, as a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Now, so first off, he says, I'm filled with joy when I pray for you because he's got good, fond memories. And we understand that stuff. But now he gets a little deeper in the virtuous side of joy because he says, and because of my chains, I rejoice. Well, there you go. Now, now this dirt, difficult circumstance. He's saying, I, I rejoice when I, because of my chains. Now this is a harder thing. And he explains why. He says, because of his chains... The, the good news has been spread throughout the whole Roman guard, even the praetorium. So the, the higher-ups in Rome, he's taken to Rome. God said he was going to be a minister to the Gentiles, and all of a sudden the heartland of the world is right there, and he's ministering to them. And he, and he goes on and he talks about the fact that there's even confused motives. He said many of the people have come to believe, and because of his imprisonment, has changed, and he can see that there's some favor that's being uh, given to him. Uh, by the, by the uh, people. He says that, that others are being courageously preaching the gospel now, that I'm in chains. And he said there's two different kinds of people. And he talks about 
uh, a group of people that are preaching Christ in love, said the the latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. And he says, the former preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, suspecting that they can stir up problems for me while I'm in chains, you know? In other words, and what does he say? It doesn't matter to me. They can have bad motives. They can have good motives. Uh, It doesn't matter. But that Christ is preached, that's the most important thing. The Lord will help clarify and purify and fix the motives. Are you with me so far? Okay. And so he says, and because of this, because Christ is preached, I rejoice. Very good. Thank you. Now you got it. You're not just throwing it in anywhere. Okay. And he said, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So he's saying, initially, he says, I, you know, I'm thankful for uh, all of you because of your, your work. And then he goes on and he says, and I'm even more filled with joy because the gospel is being preached, even though I'm in chains and people are doing it with mixed motives. But, you know, Christ is being preached. And I rejoice because of this. And I'm going to continue to rejoice. And he says, because I know that um, through the help given, through your prayers and the help given by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And then, and then he goes on, and I'm not going to read every verse, but he says he's torn in the midst of being filled with joy. It's like, it's like a no-lose situation for me. And he goes on and he talks about the fact that he's not even sure whether he should be around here or if he gets killed in prison, he goes to heaven. It's a win-win situation for him. Um, and he says, you know, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so he says, so what shall I choose? I mean, if I had to choose, which would I choose? He said, it would be better by far for me to depart and be with the Lord, but it's more necessary for you that I remain. That's what he says. So he said, I'm torn between, in other words, the guy is so filled with joy. He says, I'm, I'm joyful because of you and your faith. I'm filled with joy even because of my chains because good things are coming out of it. And I'm even joyful if I pass away here because I get to go. And that would be my choice, he says. But it's more necessary for you. Why is it more necessary for them? And here's what he says. Now he's transferring this hope or desire that they would share the joy that he has. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So I'm sticking around. I got joy no matter what happens. Like a cat, you can throw me off of a five-story building. I'm going to land on my feet. And he says, but I'm told that I'm going to stick around here. I'm convinced that I'm going to stick around here. The Lord wants me, you know, bummer for me. i got to stick it out with, uh, with all the difficulties that have gone on in his life. But he said, I'm sticking around for your joy that you can share with me in what I have. And so he tells them, whatever happens, I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the Lord. Then whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will be contending, uh, stand firm in the spirit, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel uh, without being frightened in any way by those people who oppose you. So he's saying, I I just really want to know that you're being uh, filled with joy and that you're growing and that you're really, in a sense, together without your... Standing together, close together, without being frightened by the people that, uh, that bring persecution. And, you know, I've gone to a lot of countries where there's persecution. And the more the persecution, the more the body needs to be together. 
on the same page. It's very true. So he's not done talking about joy. I'm going to skip over one of them, and I'm going to move to some other ones here. Where we'll come back to the scripture that uh, we had for this morning. But he, he talks about the fact that uh, in chapter 2, he says that he's being poured out like a, a sacrifice for the people. But even though he's being poured out like a sacrifice, in verse 18, he says, uh, or verse uh, 17, excuse me, he says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering and sacrifice, the service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice. I rejoice with all of you. So now he's combining the two together and saying, if I do something that's difficult, but it turns out for something good, I can rejoice, but I want you to rejoice with me in my own suffering, in my own difficulty. So he says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's not just a, a fun thing, an easy thing. I'm going to skip down quickly because obviously you can't cover the entire book by going through every verse. Um, but he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord in, uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. He's talking about difficult things, mutilators of the flesh, people that you know, advance circumcision and say that you can't be saved unless you're following certain laws, etc. He says, but I, you know, I'm, I'm re- I, w- I want you to rejoice in the Lord, not in all the accomplishments that people can go through, not all the things that people can achieve on their own. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And he talks about the, the reward and the prize that we'll receive ultimately in heaven as we go to be with the Lord. By the time he gets to chapter 4, I can mention two more times in chapter 3, but we need to skip along here. In chapter 4, he mentions an interesting situation here. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so he then says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. So now he puts, anytime he puts something two times, he repeats it. He's really serious about this. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. He's already mentioned good circumstances, right? And he says, I have joy in that. And I want you to have joy in the Lord in the good circumstances. And then he, he's also shared about the difficulties that he's experienced. And he says, I have joy in spite of the circumstances. And so there's really a lot packed into him saying, rejoice in the Lord always, the word always. Again, I say rejoice. In other words, have this deep abiding virtue of understanding, of trust and faith in the Lord that God is going to work it out that everything ultimately is for my best, that God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even uh, the trial and the trauma and the difficulty and the hardship that a person might have. Now he passes it back to them again after that, and he says, he uses the word uh, joy again in verse 10 where he says, this is the last chapter in chapter 4, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And, he, and he's, he's sharing with them that uh, he's, he knows what it is to be without. But he's content in that. He's content in being hungry. He says, I know what it's like to be, you know, hungry. And I also not know what it's like to, to um, be in great need. But what he's sharing with them is they've actually helped him out with his temporal needs, and he's thankful for it. And he communicates that to them. 
in verses uh, 10, 11, 12. In fact, he gets to the place where he says, I can, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. That's in verse 13 of chapter 4. So in other words, I can, I can live with lots, I can live with nothing, and I can do this. And it's not me that's doing it, it's Christ who lives in me. There's that, that's an important word. I hate it when people take the first part of that and say, I can do everything. Make it sound like it's all us. When Paul's saying exactly the opposite, it's not us. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens us. In other words, it goes from my power to God's provision. Uh, it's not about our power and our ability. But he's uh, telling the people at this point in time, even though I can live like this, I can live um, wealthy and I can live in absolute abject poverty and being hungry, he says, I rejoice that you've renewed your concern for me. In other words, they sent Epaphroditus. Paul sent Timothy to them and uh, wanted them to receive him as a son in the faith. I, I kind of skipped over that part in chapter 2. But uh, he's talking about, you know, I'm rejoicing for so many things. So what have we seen so far? I rejoice in the Lord because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I rejoice because of my chains, because good things are happening from it. I'm going to continue to rejoice even though I'm undergoing difficulties and, and heartaches uh, because I know God's in control and it, through your prayers and the deliverance of the Spirit, uh, I'm going to get through all this. Um, and I'm going to continue here. I'm not going to heaven right now because the Lord has made it very clear to me that I'm going to continue for your what? Joy and progress in the faith. And then he says, you know, there's bad people out there with bad motives, but I want you to rejoice with me. That's chapter 3, verse 1. And you might undergo suffering like I do and at the end of uh, verses 12, 13, 14 and in uh, chapter 2. But I want you, to, even though I'm being poured out like a sacrifice, I want you to rejoice with me. And by the time he gets to the end, he's saying, you know, it doesn't matter about the circumstances, folks. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, there's, the reason I've done all of this is kind of to set up one place in this passage where you're going to see that the apostle doesn't completely have all the joy that he would like to have because of some circumstances. There's, some, there's a situation that's uh, arisen that's created some difficulty there among the people in Philippi, and he's going to address it in this passage of Scripture. Let's go ahead and flash that up. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united together with Christ. Let me, let me pause here. He gives four kind of rhetorical questions. He knows these people are mature believers. Just like all, most of you, you know, you're mature believers. And so he's asking a question that he, he knows the answer is yes. Okay? If you have any encouragement from being united together with Christ... And, and if I were to ask you, do you have any encouragement from being a Christian? Say yes. Yeah, okay. And then he turns on, he goes from that, he says, if any comfort from his love. If, if, if you've been comforted by the love of God, would you say amen? amen? Amen. There's a lot of us there. Pray for you, Jason. I didn't see you say anything. Amen. There you go. All right. If any fellowship with the Spirit, I think this version says common uh, sharing, but uh, the word is 
uh, koinonia, it's, it's the word for fellowship. So if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, anybody really have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit? You've been ministered to by the Holy Spirit in prayer. Just uh, nod your head, if you would. Okay, there's some people who know how to nod. Uh, that's good, that's good. All right. And then he says, he gives the fourth one, he says, if any tenderness and compassion... Now, I don't know about you, but I've really received a lot of tenderness and compassion from the Lord. Times when I haven't deserved it, but God has just been gentle and kind and done great things for me. How about you? He asks those questions. Why does he ask them that? Because then he comes around and he says, then make my joy complete. What's that? Huh? Oh, wait a minute. Wait, make my joy complete. In other words, it's not complete with the Apostle Paul. And then he gives how that would be fully restored in Paul's joy for them, his rejoicing over them, because there's, there's something that's holding them back from being fully joyful. Anybody that's been a parent that uh, is joyful over their children, you rejoice in your children, you have full joy for your children, and then your child goes and becomes a prodigal, and they do something heinous or terrible or regretful and you know it's going to be injurious you don't rejoice over that do you what you want is you want them to come to a place where their joy is full and your joy is full and it's all complete together are you with me i'm somebody who's had one of my kids fortunately uh he's back and and uh and really and deeply and passionately in love with the lord which is great but we've experienced a little bit of the wayward child thing too and that's kind of what he's saying here. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Here's a, here's a unity thing that's so incredibly important. He goes on and describes it a little bit more. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in hum- humility, consider others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each uh, of you to the interests of others. And then he's going to go on and he's going to talk about uh, in your relationship with one another or your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It says in the version that I've memorized this in, uh, which is who being in the very nature of God did not consider any... Now he's talking about Jesus giving up everything for the sake of us. And he's saying, I want you to have that same attitude in yourselves for one another. And he's talking about people in the church. I want you to live a sacrificial life. He says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the last several verses are basically saying, the Apostle Paul saying, you see how Jesus poured himself out for us? I want you to have the same attitude. And so the rhetorical questions at the beginning, if you have any encouragement from being united together with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if any joy and tenderness, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider one another better than yourselves. Um, here's, a, here's an issue that Paul is addressing that's a church issue. 
There is great power in the unity and the togetherness of the body of Christ. I cannot emphasize that enough. There's such incredible unity, or power, excuse me, in unity or togetherness that it's, 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 uh, it's palpable. So on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were together, 120 of them in an upper room, it says they were all in one place, and it's not just using geography. They were all together in one place. And he uses the words uh, uniquely together to say they're on the same page, together in the same room. Are you with me? And what happens? The Holy Spirit came in such powerful way because there's power in unity, and when they and it's way beyond their ability, and God overwhelmed the community around them. There were people from eleven different places that are mentioned in those, uh, and, and they all heard the gospel in their own language. And these people didn't know all those languages, but the Holy Spirit was speaking through them, and there were tongues of fire that were resting on their head. There's power in unity. There's, there, there's power when the Lord brings people together and they're on the same page. And I could share several places. You know, the biggest revival in the Bible is, uh, we don't think of it in those terms, but is Jonah. The Ninevites were horrible people. But there's more than a half a million people that were living in Nineveh at the time. Those are just the adults. And God spared all of them. Why? Because they as one person, it says everybody fasted, they were in sackcloth and ashes, and God saw that unity of this humility of this group of people, and no matter how bad they were, God came in and brought redemption. It really ticked Jonah off. He didn't want to see the enemies of God to get off the hook, but God saw something in this group of people, and we have the biggest revival in the Old Testament. We have the biggest renewal in the Bible in chapter 1. And we, all, we get a picture of the power of people being unified together in uh, the book of Revelation where there's people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And they're all together. And it uses this strong word again, relationally together, not just positionally together, standing before the throne, one heart, one mind. There's power in that, folks. Did you know... There's also power when people are unified for evil. In Genesis chapter 11, well, back up, go to Genesis chapter 6. It says, all the people, their heart was bent on evil all the time. And God said, he was sorry that he made humanity. And guess what he did? He ended up destroying the earth by flood. All the people, all the time, their hearts were bent on evil. In Genesis chapter 11, there's a tower people are building, and they're saying that we're going to build this spire, and it's going to go up, we're going to you know, reach the heavens, etc. And it's not Matt Thomas that's saying this. God says if they accomplish this thing, there's nothing we would do or could do to be able to stop them, prevent them. And so God confused the languages, and that's why we got the mess we got right now. It's because of Babel. Because What? People unified for something that was really of evil intent. It was as bad as a person in the garden that just wanted to, uh, wanted to see the knowledge of good and evil just as uh, God did, etc. And 
and disobeyed God in that command. You know, in the New Testament, you have a circumstance where everybody, everybody is gathered together and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's when Jesus comes in and people are praising the Lord. But by the end of the week, it says the whole city was in an uproar. And it says, and they all shouted as one person, crucify him, crucify him. When Pilate stood up and said, what should I do with this person? They were unified over evil. And that kind of unity, if you want to call it, um, led to the murder of the Son of God. Are you with me? There's, there's power when people are together. It's either power for evil or it's power for good. Well, there's just two little verses in here that Paul's addressing the problem. He's, he's bragged on the Philippians a lot in this book. But if you'll notice, right before he says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, he's addressing a problem. And he said, I plead. He uses the strongest language he can in, uh, in verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, I plead with Yodia and with Syntyche to agree together in the Lord. What's that? I want them to be unified together. They don't have to agree necessarily on the specifics of everything, but they have to agree together in the Lord. In other words, they have to be of one heart, one mind, one spirit, as he mentions in chapter 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, same spirit, being one together in the Lord, right? And now he's mentioned the actual situation where these two people who used to be uh, loyal yoke fellow, I ask you loyal yoke fellow, this, these two people were among the loyal yoke fellow to help these women who have contended at my side. They have been right with me for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and we learn about Clement, as he's a hero in the church that, uh, that follows, we, we learn about him outside of the scriptures as well. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, I plead with you to help them to agree together. Why? Because division in the body of Christ throws everything out of whack. It is the little thing where you twist just wrong and your back goes out and you can't do anything because your back is just, hey, man, I see more nods with that than I did with another previous question. We got a lot of people with the same back problems I've got. If there's, if there's disunity in the body of Christ, um, because it, it will actually dampen our joy in the Lord. It'll dampen our community joy. It'll dampen our individual joy in the Lord. I always tell people when I speak in a church, you know, you can have great preacher preaching lots of good stuff. You can have great programs. You can have a great board that's kind of leading things, and you can do great children's ministry, great unit. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you get in, uh, people in a situation where they're not together. In fact, there's a little infighting. You throw all that stuff out the window. All bets are off. It's just like a dog can smell fear, you know, they say. Well, there's a stink in a place where there are people that are disunified. And so he's saying you have to help these people come together. So I want to tell you briefly before we close a, a situation that we had in the very first church I was a senior pastor in. 
was down in the Boise Valley in southern Idaho. And uh, Marlene and I were relatively new to the ministry. I'd been an associate pastor for a few years, and then I became a, a lead pastor. Didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't tell anybody that. So I acted like I knew what I was doing. But the Lord blessed our time. And, and uh, you know, we went there, and the church grew substantially in just the first year or two. We were clipping along really well. And the church was so full, we had to do a, a building campaign and extend our, our facilities. And so we, we built a bigger sanctuary, and uh, pretty soon that was getting full. And, and our, kids, uh, our kids' program was awesome. Um, Cass Nera was the leader of that, and boy, she just did a phenomenal job. And kids were coming from all over. We lived in a kind of a Mormon community, and uh, a lot of the uh, Mormons in the area were coming to faith in Christ and coming into our church. It was great. We had lots of people that were uh, coming to the Lord, which was great. Our youth program was stellar. Steve Skinner was our youth pastor, and he was way better with youth than I am. Uh, I'd wring their necks, you know, if they got out of line, but... But Steve loved the kids in spite of the difficulty, kind of like Eric does. So um, things are going well. Building programs going well. We raised 100% of the money needed for the expansion. Uh, that was going well. We were having new people coming into the church. Everything was going swimmingly. People liked my sermons. People liked the temperature that we kept the sanctuary in. People liked the, the color of the carpet. People liked everything. It was really a church of one. You know, we were clipping along and doing really well, and I had never had a difficult time in ministry. And I'm like five or six years in the pastorate by this time, uh, between my previous church and this one. And uh, all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but the wheels came off. I had people complaining about my preaching, my sermons were too long. Uh, it's too confusing or something. I don't know. People, how, how dare they? <laughs> that was a joke, but <laughs> apparently you didn't get it. Ron got it. You can see a smile there. But uh, um, people were complaining about the youth group. We had a great youth group, but they didn't like a specific activity that came up. Um, we had a, a situation where there was a... Uh, a teacher that said something that offended one of the children in the children's ministry, and a person came to me, came in my office and said, we're leaving the church. I'd never had anybody leave the church I'd pastored. And I'd been a pastor for, I don't know, five, six years. And so it was a little shock to me, and I said, well, can we sit down? No, we're gone. And uh, the teacher didn't really do anything terribly offensive, but did try to uh, consult. Well, there were some other people that were kind of having some issues with it. People were complaining about the church facility being too hot on Sundays. Too, or they didn't like the food that we had at a potluck. I mean, it just, I mean, it's food. It's free. It's, you know, take what you want and leave the stuff you don't like. I mean, it was just weird. We had people pull their kids out of youth group for some things. There was a, a boy that fell in deep like with a girl and and they were inappropriate with one another, and the parents were angry with uh, the way the church had responded. And they, so another family said they were going to leave the church. This all happened like in one month. And I thought, wow. So I actually had a, um, I thought, you know what? We need to do the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have communion together. We're going to come together as a church. And back in those days, believe it or not, there was not only a Sunday morning service, but there was a 
Sunday evening service. Some of you old enough to remember that, those days? Okay, so Sunday evening, I thought there'll be enough space. Uh, I brought people together, and I just said, let's just seek the mind of the Lord together and make sure our hearts are clear before the Lord, you know, because there's some brokenness that's in the church and somehow, and I don't, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure. Maybe it's me. I, I, I don't know. So um, I had people kneel that could kneel. If Obviously, if they couldn't, they wouldn't. And I separate themselves uh, rows. So we had about 20 rows or something, and I just said, just first row, third row, fifth row, and I'm going to serve everyone communion. So I was getting the elements ready up front, and people were kneeling, and I said, before I serve, if there's anything that you need to confess before Almighty God, please do it now so your heart is clear. And if there's anything, any division between you and someone else in the body of Christ, please make that right. You know, and I just thought that was a nice spiritual thing to do. I wasn't expecting something to happen. I turned around, and I was getting the elements ready, and the bread and the cup, and all of a sudden I heard some sobbing in the front row. And uh, I won't mention the woman's name, we'll just call her Mary. And uh, Mary stood up, and she was sobbing, and said to a woman, we'll call her Betty. I don't know a Betty here, so we're good. Betty, would, would you please forgive me? And I, I turned around from getting the elements ready, and this woman in the very back, who we know, these were two women that they co-led our women's ministries in the church, and they were best friends. In fact, the one up here led the one back there to the Lord. They did everything together. And Betty in the back said, will you forgive me? And she said, yes. And it was like a sappy Western movie <laughs> where they went running down the center aisle, literally running with their husbands in tow right behind them. <laughs> and they embraced and spun around in the middle of the church. And, uh, and she's, I, I overheard uh, the one, I guess I called her Mary, say, would you receive the Lord's Supper with us? After they embraced, she came up in the front row. By this time, I'm ready. I serve everybody communion. And uh, we had a great service that night. And then we prayed and everybody went home. And I didn't think much about it, but in the next four weeks, it was really interesting. The people that uh, had left the church because of the kids thing, um, they, uh, I got a call from them one day, and they said, you know, we were wrong. We shouldn't have done that. And uh, the children's teacher is a friend. I don't want it to create division. We're going to come back. And I said, no, that's wonderful. And so he, they said, we wanna, we're going to take them out to dinner, and we're going to make sure we resolve everything. I thought, that's great. Um, the people who had kids that were involved in the youth group, all of a sudden, they decided they were going to come back to church, and they called, and I thought, man, you know, and I'd preached a message on something, and I thought, yeah, it's the preaching. So uh, <laughs> I was pretty convinced of that. By the way, people were really, the next month, everybody was loving the preaching, and I thought, yes, that's good. And they, people were talking about the, the good things that were going on and really wanting to do more in the community and everything was clicking on all cylinders and we actually grew in a month by about 40 people in one month. It was incredible and I thought, 
I know how to pastor a church, man. <laughs> so I called the board together the next meeting, and I'm in my 20s. I was probably about 28 at the time, or 29, and uh, there's a guy named Cliff Ralphs. Some of you may have known him if you've ever been a delegate to annual conference in this conference, but Cliff at the time was in his probably late 50s, early 60s, uh, wise, godly, humble man, very successful contractor, building contractor. And we're sitting in the board meeting and we're we were rejoicing over all the good stuff that was going on in the church. And I said, and I started saying, you know, we're doing this now, we're doing this now. I was kind of doing this. And uh, Cliff stopped me in midstream and said, you know, pastor, it's none of that. You know where the turn took place? You know where the hinge was? And he mentioned the two women by name, and he mentioned that night, he said, the Holy Spirit came down when the body was unified. And he said, everything didn't change because of your preaching <laughs> or because of the youth pastor's aptitude for being uh, due conflict resolution. Um, no, it wasn't any of that. He said, everything turned on a dime. You could sense palpably the presence of the Spirit. Why? Because the body was together. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, that Yodi and Senteki, these co-workers of mine in the faith who come alongside of me, that the two of them would be uh, agree together in the Lord. And then he concludes that little passage. I want you, you know, I want your, your uh, faithfulness to be evident to all, the Lord is near. Another passage says gentleness. It's the only place this one word appears in the Greek Bible. Um, and so some places say, it, let your moderation be evident to all, the Lord is near. It really has to do with this virtue. I want your virtue of unity, of connectedness, of your willingness to be together, to be evident to all. And then he just wraps it up with rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the only thing that will destroy that, the only thing that he says is lacking for his joy to be made complete was the body being the body as the body was made to be, that we're one in Christ. Are you with me? I hope you are. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to pray with me, but I'm going to do the same thing I did uh, that night many, many years ago as a young pastor. I'm just going to ask that if there's anything that needs to be resolved between any person. It might even be your spouse, but uh, let's not hamper the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in when the body of Christ and the family is unified together. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder of the Apostle Paul that there's so much to be filled with joy about. And the only thing that seems like, since it is an internal virtue, it's something that's in us by our connection with you. And Lord, I know that as I'm saying this, there are a lot of people that have answered yes to, we've been encouraged by being united together with Christ. We've been comforted from your love. We, we've received the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And uh, we have experienced joy and tenderness. Lord, I, I pray that if we have all of that, that we would also be willing to be one in any way possible so that we could be united together as the body. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, bring healing 